This morning we are going to continue our series in the book of Proverbs. We have been spending uh, the last several months uh, looking at this book of wisdom together. And you can open your Bible to Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. This morning we do have have the privilege, as we do every week, of holding up the mirror of God's Word uh, to ourselves. And through that mirror, that mirror is, is, is both a window where we see God, this is God's revelation to us, uh, and we see ourselves. So may God give us grace to see what He wants us to see, to hear what He wants us to hear, and to have lives that are, that are transformed by looking to Him. Last week we took some time to consider together what it means to fear the Lord. Uh, what it means to dwell on the goodness of fearing God. And Proverbs 19.23 tells us that the fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. That sounds really good. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied and he will not be visited by harm. Fearing God, its importance and goodness is at the very heart of Proverbs. It's what these 31 chapters are all about. They're about us seeing the goodness of fearing the Lord, wanting to walk in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord applied to our lives is wisdom. It's walking in wisdom. Fearing God is to know Him for His glory and His goodness, to depend on Him with our lives, to trust in Him through our obedience, to delight in His love, to walk in His ways. To fear God is wisdom. To fear God is life. And Proverbs brings us to face this reality, that there are two ways to live, right? Two paths. Either we walk in wisdom or folly, righteousness or wickedness, life or death. Either we fear God or we do not. And after this declaration of the goodness and blessing of fearing the Lord in in Proverbs 19, verse 23, the text that we're going to look at together highlights for us what a world without fear looks like. A world where there is no fear of God. What does it look like? What are its consequences? So I've titled this sermon, if you want a title, I normally don't provide titles, but consider this a little bonus today. (laughs) A world without fear. And we're going to be spending our time looking at Proverbs 19, verse 24, through chapter 20, verse 11. And as we do that, we're going to look at it in, in two sections. Our first section will introduce us to this wicked cast of characters, a section that I'm going to call a mob of fools, a mob of fools. This will be Proverbs 19, 24 through 20, verse 1. So let's take a moment and get to know this cast of characters that Solomon introduces us to. We start in verse 24, and we look, and here we meet the first of four characters in this section, the sluggard, the sluggard. Proverbs 19, verse 24 says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard. I love how visual this word is. Uh, You don't even have to know what this word means to get a sense of it. A sluggard. I mean, you think of, what do you think of? You think of a slug, right? A slug. And have you ever watched a slug move? It's really hard to watch a slug move because they move really, really, really slow. They're just this blob of disgusting goo, just sitting there, moving slowly, a sluggard. 
The first character that Solomon introduces to, the one with no fear of God, is this sluggard. And what does this sluggard do? He buries his hand in the dish. This picture begins with one who has put their hand into the dish to either dip food into it, like a, uh, like a chip into queso, you might do that this afternoon, chip into salsa, or to, to reach out and take something out. That's, he's putting his hand in the dish. Now the word that's used for dish, I mean, we may wonder, man, his, his hand is buried. Like, was he like trying, he's got like a huge tub of ice cream and he's just trying to reach in to get the, like, just enough to fill his bowl. It's not like that. No, this, this dish, the, the Hebrew word behind dish, is more like a, like a plate or a shallow pan. Like, think of a, a, uh, a pie plate. It's, it's very easy to get, to dip in food into. It's very easy to get food out of it. It takes minimal effort. And the sluggard here has this opportunity to satisfy their hunger, but what do they do? They bury their hand in the dish. They, they put their hand in and they never take it out. And there's a consequence to this action of the sluggard. He starves. Despite the opportunity to satisfy the craving of his hunger, the sluggard starves because it's just too hard. He is living for himself, living for the comfort of the moment, and he destroys himself because he doesn't want to do any work. Yikes. That's the sluggard. Meet the sluggard, the, the, the first member of this mob of fools. Now Solomon wants to make his way around the room, introduces to some other characters. So he introduces us next to the scoffer. The scoffer. A scoffer is a, a mocker. They think they know better than others, and they make sure that everyone else knows that they know better than others. Later in Proverbs 21, verse 24, Solomon writes this. This is 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. A scoffer is arrogant. He's full of himself, and he's quick to say that others are just plain stupid. Sounds like a great guy to be around. Solomon has shown us this character often throughout Proverbs and has shown that the scoffer is no friend of wisdom. He's not interested in wisdom. There's no fear of God before his eyes. He's the one who, who laughs at God and his ways, who will not listen to correction, and who leads others down the path of foolishness. And there's a consequence, consequence to the scoffer's action. He will be punished. He will be struck. This is what verse 25 begins with. Strike a scoffer. But verse 25 isn't as interested at this moment in the scoffer and his punishment as it is concerned with the effect that this punishment has on the simple. Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. When the scoffer is, is punished, then the impressionable, the simple, those easily influenced by his ways, they'll learn. They're going to learn prudence. They will learn the difference between right and wrong. They will see that, wow, acting that way leads to some really bad stuff. And what Proverbs 19.25 is saying is that it takes punishment to teach the simple. Now, this is contrasted with the man of understanding, the person who walks in wisdom. He doesn't need to be struck, and he doesn't need to see someone else struck in order to learn wisdom. He is eager to listen quick to respond to correction. So verse 25 says next, reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. 
While it takes a strike to teach the simple, the wise only needs to hear words. They listen and receive instruction and respond to it. Now we're going to come back to the scoffer in a couple of verses. We're not done with him yet. We'll come, we'll come back. But first, Solomon wants to introduce us to a third character who has no fear of God. So we've considered the sluggard, the scoffer. Now he introduces us to the proud son. The proud son. The proud son is known by the way that he has treated his parents. Verse 26 begins, He does violence to his father and chases away his mother. He does violence to his father and chases away his mother. The proud son dishonors his parents. He treats them with disrespect. And it's a disrespect with teeth. It's an awful picture. Violence to his father who has provided for him. Chasing away his mother who has cared for him. This is the son who brings shame and reproach upon himself and upon those around him. Now get this, God takes, this is something you've, you've heard likely, God takes very seriously the honor or dishonor that children bring to their parents. Consider what Paul writes to the Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes the fourth commandment, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. If obeying this commandment brings with it a promise of good to those who honor their parents, what do you think happens to the one who disobeys or disregards this command? Right? You obey this command, you follow this command, there's this promise. What happens if you disobey this command? Might the disobedience result in being cut off from this promise? And that's what's being illustrated here in Proverbs 19. Now what was the error of this son who brings shame to his parents? We know what he did. Violence, violence to his father, chased away his mother. But how? How did that happen? The text doesn't tell us. He could have been a passive sloth. He could have been a sluggard and brought destruction on his family. He could have been a partier like the prodigal son, spending his inheritance recklessly. He could have been a criminal, stealing from his parents for his own benefit. But the circumstance of how the son destroyed his parents isn't really the primary concern of Solomon. Solomon's concern has to do with answering the why question. Why did he become a disgrace to his parents? What put him on this path? We know that he has no fear of God, but what did that look like in his life? Let's look to verse 27. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. What led to this violence to the father and chasing away the mother and the shame and reproach? Where did it begin? It started when the proud son stopped listening to the instruction of his parents. He thought he had it figured out better than they did, so he stopped listening. But this has a deadly effect on him over time because when you fail to hear instruction, when you stop listening to teaching, you will move away from wisdom. There's no neutral. Either you listen and you move toward wisdom, or you stop listening and you move away from wisdom. Last night I was together with uh, some of the youth in the church and, and we were talking about this verse and, and I used the illustration of, of think of like a Hot Wheels car, a Matchbox car sitting on a table. And if that table's flat, what's, where's that car going to go? Nowhere. But if that table is slanted, what's going to happen to it? It's going to roll backwards unless someone's behind it pushing it forwards. 
That's, that's the Christian life. There's, there's no neutral. Either we're moving towards wisdom or we're moving away from wisdom. This proud son, he refused to listen. And he was led away from wisdom. He strayed from what we, he was taught. He became a shame and a reproach. And this happens, it can happen to any of us at any point in time, but it often happens to young people. There was a season where this happened to me. As I grew, I thought I knew more and more, especially in relation to my parents. I knew more and more and thought that I deserved more and more freedom because I knew more and more and I was getting older. I needed to like grow up and so I needed to stop listening to them. I needed less and less instruction. This happened when I was 13, 14, 15. This is how I was living. I, I stopped hearing instruction. I ceased to hear instruction. But the result was not that I became a better me or stayed the same me. The result was that I strayed from wisdom. Like a, I think of, think of a young dog. You've got a, a, a puppy who's eight months old and full of energy and excited. And what happens when that back door opens? It's gone, right? It's out that back door. The per- people in that house know and the neighbors know that when that young dog goes out the back door, what it thinks is freedom is not freedom because he doesn't know where his home is, right? He's escaped out the back door and he th- what he thinks is freedom is really straying from wisdom. The path to life is to walk the path of humility. And we never, ever grow out of our need for humility. Maturity is not hearing less and less instruction. Maturity is humbly recognizing our perpetual need for instruction. We must always fear God. We must pay attention every day and in every decision to the way that we walk to pursuing wisdom. Because the moment that we stop, we unconsciously stray from what is good and right and leads to life. There is no neutral. That's the proud son. So far we've met the sluggard, the scoffer, the proud son. Solomon now wants to go back to the scoffer. Let's spend a little bit more time on the scoffer. He is more for us to see, and he points to how this scoffer acts in public, how he affects society. Look at 19, verse 28. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. The scoffer is someone who stands against the good order and right execution of justice in society. Stands against it. Thinks it's a joke. But what he thinks is all fun and games without consequence results in the awful picture of him swallowing evil. That's, that's disgusting. But that's not the only consequence to his mockery of what is good and right. Verse 29 gives us the God-ordained judgments for this justice mocker. We see this condemnation and beating. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. The scoffer will be struck. The scoffer will be judged. He will be punished. He will be condemned. How do we know this? Always in the background of Proverbs is the reality of God's rule, God's power, and God's final authority to judge, to punish, and to condemn. It's always in the background. It's always just right there under the surface. And in verse 29, the word condemnation that's used is a a Hebrew word that's always and only used in reference to God's acts of judgment. This is something that God does. This is a condemnation that God finally carries out. It's part of God's fixed and unchanging punishment for scoffers. You see, this, this mob that we've encountered here, 
is no innocent band of fools that we're being introduced to. They are a group of characters who have certain judgment in their future because they have no fear of God. We've got one more character to consider in this section. The fourth character Solomon presents to us is in chapter 20, verse 1. And here we're introduced to the drunkard. This is the man without self-control. He gives himself over to his appetites and is led away from wisdom because of it. Chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Here, Solomon turns wine and beer into people, bad people, in order to warn those who are listening to him. Wine is a mocker, making fun of what is right. Strong drink is a brawler fighting against what is good. They have a certain character that can have devastating effects on people. And sadly, these devastating effects, they're, they're seen far too often in our society. Wine and strong drink destroy people's lives. It doesn't take long to find someone who it's destroyed or knows someone who it's destroyed. But Solomon's point is not that wine and strong drink are the problem. It's those who have no self-control, those who allow themselves to be led astray by what they drink. That is the problem. Throughout Scripture, even in Proverbs, wine is spoken of as both a sign of blessing such as wisdom's invitation in Proverbs 9, 5, to come and drink of my wine, and as an evil that can destroy, like here. It's wisdom applied that understands the difference. But here Solomon wants us to see the drunkard and understand the deadly consequence of his ways. The, the drunkard, the scoffer, the proud son, the sluggard. Four lousy characters who've come to this party a party of fools who have no fear of God. And rather than being led to life and satisfaction and protection, security, they walk down a path that ends in condemnation and destruction. This brings us to our second section. So we look at verses 2 through 11, a section that I'm going to call a mob that I'm a part of. A mob that I'm a part of. So we looked at this mob of fools. Second, we're going to look at a mob that I'm a part of. This section begins with the reality of judgment for all fools. Judgment is inevitable because authority exists, and it exists through, through the rule of governments and kings, and it exists through the ultimate rule of God. Look at verse 2. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. Behind the king in Proverbs, we should always look for God, his rule, his power, his execution of justice. The roar of this king points to the roar of God against all evil, the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Those who do not fear the Lord, those who do not trust him and walk in his ways are those who, who provoke the righteous anger of the king. And their end is that they forfeit their lives, the loss of their own lives. Now, what are some things that will provoke the anger of this king and lead to judgment? What are those characteristics that lead to this devastating end? We should know, right? If we don't want to be destroyed by this lion, we should know what these characteristics are. In verse 3, Solomon directs our attention first to quarreling. Quarreling. I thought it was going to be a little bit more sensational, like murder, but no, quarreling. Arguing, being quick to pick a fight or get involved in one. And he does this by contrasting the fool with a man who gains honor for himself. Look at verse 3. 
It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. But every fool will be quarreling. There is great gain in staying out of the fight. The king and your community will ultimately look at you as honorable and wise because you have kept aloof from the fight. You have stayed above it. You have stayed out of it. But the fool is all too eager to enter the fray. They can't help themselves. They've got to jump in. They've got to say something. Mom, did you see what she did? Or two people are in an argument. You've got to put yourself in the middle of it. They can't, they, they can't resist the quarrel. They will be quarreling. That's first characteristic that brings this condemnation. Second characteristic, Solomon directs our attention to laziness in verse 4. Laziness. Again, not that sensational, right? Laziness. Verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. While others are doing all the work, busy plowing their fields, diligently working their fields, preparing for days to come, what's the sluggard doing? Just watching. He's doing whatever he wants to do. He is a sloth who loves easy. He does not want to do what should be done, what must be done. But there's a consequence to this laziness. It once again leads to hunger. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Quarreling, laziness. In verse 5, Solomon points us to another characteristic, manipulation. We all have reasons for doing the things that we do. There are certain motivations behind our decisions and our actions. And those can either be good or bad. Oftentimes, they're, they're a mixture of the two. Verse 5 describes this as the purpose in a man's heart. That's the phrase it uses. This is speaking to our motives, the purpose in a man's heart. These purposes, they can be difficult to understand, difficult to discern, and so here they're described as, as deep water. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. Think of King Darius if in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, king Darius was, was the king when Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. Some of before Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, some of Darius' counselors come to him and they flatter him and ask him to make a law that, that anyone who prays to any god or any man other than you, they should be cast in the den of lions. They should be punished. You should make this a law for 30 days because you deserve it, Darius. You're a great guy and we just want to honor you. That's what these counselors come and tell him. Now to King Darius, oh, this sounded pretty good. Yeah, I am a great guy and I do deserve this. He was not able to discern the purpose in a man's heart. He could not see clearly that what his counselors were interested in was not the honor of Darius, but the destruction of Daniel. Darius did not, want, did not have the, the wisdom of Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. The insightful person, this man of understanding, is able to discern motives. He's able to protect himself against the manipulator. Laziness, manipulation, what was the second one? What's the first one, quarreling, yeah, thank you. Quarreling, laziness, manipulation. Solomon next directs our attention to another trait, and that trait is hypocrisy. To say one thing, but to do another. This is what we read in verse six. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can find? The first line presents this person who says he is kind and faithful. He lets everyone know about it. 
But this is only deceitfulness and pride because he is not faithful. His actions don't match his words. That's hypocrisy. Scripture is full of examples of people who proclaim their own goodness, their own faithfulness, their own devotion to God, but prove to be otherwise through their actions. Read Scripture and you will find hypocrites on every page, in every person, except for one. Scripture speaks this again and again and again. In 2 Kings 10, Jehu, king of Israel, he boasts and invites others to come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And just a few verses later, verse 31 tells us that Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord with all his heart. This is what the people of God often declare. Think of Exodus 24. God has come to Mount Sinai. He's given them the Ten Commandments. And the people declare, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. But what happens? Just moments later, there they are, making a golden calf to this image to represent God instead of worshiping God himself. A faithful man, who can find? Solomon is, is confronting us with this inability that people have to walk as we ought, to live in the way that we should go, that we must go. And for everyone here, here we are, holding up the mirror of God's word before our faces, and what is presented as evil, this is kind of uncomfortable, because it looks a little bit more like us than we'd like to admit. I've rushed into fights when I shouldn't be involved in them. I've been lazy. I've manipulated others. I've been a hypocrite. But as we sit here and look at this mirror of God's word, look closely. Are you this faithful disciple, this faithful friend, this faithful neighbor, this faithful brother, sister, son, daughter, spouse? Who can find this faithful person? Well, they exist. They're somewhere because Solomon brings them up here in verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. There is a faithful person. They're righteous. They walk in integrity. There's not only evil everywhere. The person spoken of here is not a person who's sinless, but a person who is devoted. One who is dedicated to the Lord and his teachings. One who walks in the fear of the Lord. But evil is all around us. Evil is within us. And all evil will be judged. Verse 8 says this, A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Winnows is, is to, to separate out and drive away. This is a righteous king, diligently and justly removing all evil from his kingdom. Anything that stands opposed to his kingdom, he is removing. He has the authority to judge. He's sitting on his throne. And his judgments are, are just and universal in space and time. And God is the one who stands behind this judgment. I'm going to skip over verse 9 for a second. This is what verse 10 directs our attention to. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Uh, in, the, in the marketplace, it was a common business practice and considered smart for someone to use lighter weights and smaller measures when selling. Oh, so, so you want a jug of that? Okay, here's my jug, and here you go. But when you're buying to use larger weights and, or heavier weights and larger measures when you're buying, because it's like, no, this is how much you should give me because my jug is this big. It was common practice. It was considered smart business practice. But Solomon points 
this out as not only deceptive, but an abomination to the Lord. It's something that God hates, that he stands against. So what the world might call clever, God sees and opposes and will punish. The all-knowing God is the one whose eye is in every place. He winnows all evil with his eyes. He sits on the throne of judgment. And no one can escape. Look at verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? No one. No one can say this. We all fall short of the glory of God. We are all incapable of producing a pure heart. Of washing ourselves clean from our sin. We have this stain from sin that we can't get out. Pastor Charles Bridges writes this. He says, The question is confounding. The answer humbles us in the dust. The more we search the heart, the more will its impurity open upon us. Dramatic effect, right? The more we search the heart, the more will its impurity open upon us. Even the young are made known by their actions. Verse 11 says, even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. We can't hide behind the innocence of youth. We can't deny the reality that Genesis 8.21 declares, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. We make ourselves known who we are by what we do. Now this mob of fools, the sluggard, the scoffer, the proud son, the drunkard, here we are with them. We join them through our laziness, through our pride, through our quarreling, through our lying, through our manipulating, through our hypocrisy. We are attending this party. Every one of us falls under the, the just judgment that is coming to those who are not clean from sin. We are implicated. We are condemned. We are without hope. We are completely corrupt with no way to make ourselves clean. Unless someone comes from outside of us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unless someone comes from outside of us to pay our debt. Unless someone comes from outside of us to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. And thanks be to God that someone has come. That someone has come, and this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ has come and become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We have no hope but Him. We have no salvation apart from Him. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Though our sins are many, His mercy is more, so much more. So then, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who sings, sing of what he has done. Let the one who lives be satisfied in his mercy and grace and steadfast love. And that's why we gather together today here with joy in our hearts. Joy on our faces because of what he has done. Because my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. He is our hope. Amen. Before I conclude, I just want to... Uh, Say something to the young people in particular here. This can apply to any of us, but especially to the young people. Proverbs presents us with these two ways, these two paths, these two choices. And this is what you're presented with week after week, day after day. A, a feast 
has been laid out for you. A feast of grace and goodness and life. And this feast is in your homes as your parents teach you about God and the things of God. This feast is here on Sundays as we gather together and hear from God and speak the truth of God's word to one another. But remember the sluggard. Be warned by the sluggard. The feast was laid out for him. There's the dish, ready to be dug into. But he would rather be hungry than put the food into his mouth. He would rather just show up than take steps of faith and obedience. You may have good intentions for godliness, good intentions to love the Lord and walk in his ways. I grew up that way thinking, you know, I mean, like, that's all well and good, but like maybe when I'm older. But there will come times when you will face opposition, where it will cost something to follow God, where it will be really hard. And when it gets hard for the sluggard, what does the sluggard do? He gives up. He buries his hand in the dish. Prayer is kind of awkward, so he doesn't pray. He loves ease more than he loves the Lord. Reading the Bible, eh, it's kind of hard. I don't always understand what I'm reading. A lot of times I don't understand what I'm reading. So you stop. But the Bible wants to warn those who are at ease in the house of the Lord. Before you is this feast, but if you only put your hand into it and bury it there, you become the sluggard. You must feed yourself. You must turn to God in in faith. You must take steps of obedience. You must fear God and walk in His ways. To be here is, and not to obey, to not work out your faith with fear and trembling, is to be that sluggard who won't even bring the food back to his mouth. So my prayer for you all, for all of us, (laughs) is that we would be faithful. Faithful to uh, have hearts devoted to the Lord in His ways. Faithful to know God in His Word. To be satisfied in, in the God that's revealed in Scripture. Faithful to depend on God daily in prayer. Praying without ceasing. Faithful to live for God in all of our actions in all of our thoughts, in all that we say. Our prayer together is, is the prayer of David, Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I can't make myself pure, but the Lord can. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And, and the God who forgives, the God that we come to, is faithful to cleanse. is faithful to redeem, is faithful and powerful to save. So he is our hope, and we rejoice in his grace together. Let me pray. Father, the world world without fear that we are presented with in this text is sobering. It's sobering because this is a world that we we live around, that we encounter day to day, and it's, it's sobering because there we are in our sin. There we are in our hypocrisy, in our pride, in our laziness. And so, Lord, we we throw ourselves upon you and throw ourselves upon your mercy and grace. Thank you that you are our life. And as we turn from our sin in, in faith and repentance, thank you that you offer yourself to us freely. And in you, we are cleansed. In you, we have righteousness. 
Thank you that you came as our, our Savior. And so, Lord, we hope in you and we trust in you. And, Lord, if, if there are any here that, that are feeling the, the conviction of their own sin and realizing the fact that they have been lazy as they look to you, Lord, would you help them to see that there is no hope in themselves. It's not now just try harder. Now just do better. The answer is to, to fear you, to be satisfied in you, to love you, to walk in your ways. Your invitation to us is to come, the, come all who are heavy laden, and you will give us rest. And so we rest in you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.